0: Good morning. morning. Uh, Before we come to the scripture and the word of God, let us go before God in prayer. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. Come be in this place. Swirl around us and open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you would have for us today. Be with the words of my mouth and be with the quiet whisperings of all of our hearts that they might be glorifying to you, O God. Amen. So, Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, and it's found on page 1571 in your pew Bible. Listen now to this word from God. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten other disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them all together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Word of God for the people of God. God. The nerve of those guys. I mean, what an audacious question. Please, would you give us the seats, one on the right and one on the left, next to you in glory? James and John want front-row seats with club access to unlimited food and beverages. (laughs) They want the spiritual prowess of popes and rabbis and preachers. They are full-fledged groupies, intoxicated by their potential proximity to the celebrity of heaven. Jesus is a pop singer on world tour, and they want VIP backstage passes. James and John want to get so close that they feel the sprays of sweat and the glitter of fame. They want a seat at the table, at the head of the table, in fact. Maybe it's like a first-come, first-served deal. If they ask before the other disciples, calling months in advance, they might score that coveted table reservation at Glory, the five-star Michelin restaurant. I can just see James and John bouncing on the balls of their feet raising their hands to be first in line for ice cream sandwiches only to find out that a what's being given out is not ice cream sandwiches but actually a list of household chores and b Jesus doesn't even have ice cream sandwiches those are in God's freezer So yes, on some level, when we read of James and John chomping at the bit for a piece of the power, when we see their brazenness, we get a little judgy. They are so transparent that it provokes our gag reflex. They're brown nosing. They're forfeiting their dignity for a ringside view of the action for a shot at eternal reward. Gross maybe that was a little harsh. If we are more magnanimous, we could write off their question as unfortunate cluelessness. Are they blind? Weren't they watching when Jesus plopped the little child into their midst? Don't they remember when he confronted the rich man and told him to sever ties with his worldly possessions? Didn't they hear Jesus talk about his own path forward? How dangerous and risky following him would be? Maybe they just zoned out or weren't paying close enough attention. Or maybe they heard what they wanted to hear. This is where we have to zoom out and do the uncomfortable work of laying aside our judgment of Jesus' disciples long enough to pinpoint what about that disturbs us so much what rankles our feathers. When we watch James and John vie for the best seats in the house, we call it shameless greed. When we vie for the best seats in the house, we call it success. We call it work ethic, business acumen. It's perseverance, it's foresight. James and John wriggle over in their seats inching their metaphorical chairs closer to the head of the table. What they don't realize is that Jesus isn't sitting at the head of the table. Jesus, it turns out, is at the foot, kneeling on the floor with a dish towel slung over his shoulder, scrubbing under the toenails of dusty disciple feet. James and John's impulse to scooch closer to Jesus is actually really right on. Longing to be close to our God is a beautiful and essential feature of the truly faithful. We hope to be like James and John in this way. We want to want nearness to Jesus like they do. We're ready to bask in the glow of that magnetic energy that Jesus just radiates. But where they and we get all twisted up and turned around, is when we look for Jesus in all the wrong places. Jesus is never in the middle of the religious fray, if he can help it. Nor is he at the tip top of the social ladder of fame, wealth, and power. Jesus isn't presiding or lording, he's down below, hugging children, comforting nameless women, Sitting at the table with tax collectors, decidedly not the head of the table. Jesus is impromptu hanging out with and healing all of the bummy outsiders, the dangerous looking and the downtrodden. Jesus is in the alley next to the well on Gloucester. He's on park benches in front of City Hall, listening to the drug addicted and the homeless. Jesus would miss World Communion Sunday, if someone within his radius was suffering or bleeding or grieving. Slowly but surely, Jesus loves and heals his way through temple controversies and government standoffs to reach the very lowest rung that there is. Death as a common criminal. If Jesus were a Southerner, His response to James and John's question about sitting next to him would have been, bless your hearts. (laughs) He finds he has to spell it out for them, this unfortunate news that's twofold. First, you don't understand, apparently, about the cup from which I'm going to have to drink and what my baptism demands of me. You don't realize the suffering involved when you follow me and stop living for yourself second per your eternal seat request order form i'm not the person to accept those so i don't know about you but this part is kind of wild to me i had sort of assumed that jesus would have some say in eternal placement right jesus here is claiming that not only is judgment not up to us no matter how much we delude ourselves jesus himself is not in the business of judging That is written in the stars, so to speak. God holds the place cards in the folds of God's own heart. There's no need to waste our time on wait lists or on a stymied ticket master. A better use of our time would be to switch from seeking greatness to greatly seeking. Seeking ways to connect and to serve. Quit clawing and start mopping floors. Quit hedging our bets and start noticing the hurting. Unknit our brows and relax our shoulders. Shed our anxiety about things we can't control anyway. Open our wallets or our overstuffed closets for the least of these. The children, the mentally ill, the hungry, the wounded, the abused, the exploited, the refugees, the voiceless. That's where we find Jesus every single time. Okay, so Jesus has this habit of rotating things 180 degrees from right side up to upside down. And then he names the new thing the right side up. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says the kingdom is for the poor and the brokenhearted. He says the last will be first and the first will be last. Unlike earth's gravitational truths, that what goes up must come down, Jesus demonstrates with his very body that in the kingdom of God, what goes down will rise up. From the depths of despair sprouts fresh new life. From the pit of misery and heartache springs glimmers of a wise joy. It's an absolute reversal of the way we're taught to think of things. Our default programming, when taken to Jesus, gets reprogrammed. Just like Jesus flipped over the money changers' tables in the temple, Jesus flips over the world as we know it. Power stops being about brute strength and becomes courageous, vulnerable love. So the other ten disciples have heard what James and John's question was about, and they are irate. Listen to how Jesus responds to them. He says, Those who give and serve are the leaders in this new upside down way of living. No more leaders exerting authority or dominating with armies. It's backwards and it's upside down to their ears and to ours. Jesus just reigns on their parade. He rains on it with the wine from his cup of suffering and the salt spray of his baptism, dousing them with the disappointment that it's none of their business where they will end up sitting at the table of glory. Okay, so you know that feeling, um, possibly had it Tuesday or Wednesday of this past week, when you dart through the rain to your car to discover that it's locked and the key is in your purse or your pocket... And you struggle, and you hurry, and the more you struggle and the more you hurry, the more lost your key gets, caught up in your pocket liner or in that compartment of your bag, until you get so soaked, so sopping wet, that your clothes are heavy and your shoes are starting to squeak, so wet that there's nothing left for you to do but to stop racing against your key. You slow down, and you accept the rain. You might even enjoy the sensation of freedom, remembering what it was like to be a kid when you jumped in puddles and danced in the rain. What if that's what it feels like when we stop our preoccupation with where we and everyone else are going to sit for eternity? We scurry and we wrestle and we plan and we, we grasp. We forget that what we earn and strive for in this life will only collect dust and moths. There is no transfer of funds. If we truly follow Jesus, the blessings will sometimes come disguised as loss. And what we think are blessings can cut us off from our God. I have a friend who rotated my prayer life 180 degrees. He didn't know that he did, but he did. When I heard him pray, I got chills all over my body, and I'm pretty sure that they were the chills of transformation. He prayed like this God, thank you for all that you give to me, and thank you for all that you take away from me. Amen. When we let our fretting fall away in this torrent of baptismal blessing, we understand that place cards for the afterlife or this life, they don't dictate our joy in Jesus Christ. Soaking and satisfied, we settle into our own skin with quiet, confident trust. Amazing, isn't it? How when we give up the struggle, all this space is opened up within us. Space for freedom and newness and waking up to nature and neighbor who have been here this whole time. Acceptance itself is an upside-down exercise. The rat race around us shouts, never give up. Work harder, faster, longer. Blood, sweat, tears, do it for the glory. Fight to the bitter end for what is yours for the taking. But Jesus shows us the ultimate path of ego deflation. Death of a heavenly king on an earthly cross, spat upon and taunted. To the world as we know it, it looks like defeat. It looks shameful and humiliating. But there's this really awesome moment when Jesus kneels in the garden and he prays to his God, take this cup of suffering from me, yet not my will, But yours be done. Before Jesus even lays down his life, he lays down caring how the world may or may not perceive him while he's doing it. It's because a pocket of his heart has opened so wide it could fit the whole world inside. He was about to lose everything, but his acceptance of loss enabled him to live and die and live again with richness and deep contentment. So does Jesus really rain on our parade? Yeah, he does. He tenderly sees and corrects our desires for me first paradigms. And then he takes us by the hand and he lovingly leads us out of the queue for the head of the table. He leads us through the rains of our baptism and the showers of his cup. Until we are soaked through with tears of sorrow and loss. Jesus' footprints lead us all the way down that row of banquet chairs, down and down and down, to the foot of the table, to the foot of the cross, all the way down to the foot of an empty tomb. And there, emerging from the valley of shadows, is glory. Amen.